Hello and welcome. I'm Joe Frost here with my co-host Peter Linus and this is Being Human. Hey, so if we're back, does that mean more than my mum listened to the first episode? Oh, I'm sure the interns listened. They're not interns. I have to, how many times I have to keep telling you they're research assistants. They are paid to listen to us to make sure that what we say is like accurate, true, not heretical, not libelous. Yeah. Okay. Well, good luck for them. Um, so this episode, we are discussing Love Island dating apps and desire. Is that right? Uh, I hope so. They're your specialist subjects. <laughs> Well, it's all about a life well lived. Okay, so to state the obvious, this podcast is called Being Human. Um, We're looking at what it means to be human, to be divine image bearers. What does it look like as we try to to navigate living in this cultural context? Um, And this series, we're looking at the topic of freedom. How important is freedom to being human? And in this episode, we're going to be asking, are you in control of your desires? Or perhaps more accurately, is one in control of one's desires? What? As in, we're not interested in your desires as Joe Frost. That would be a whole other uh, podcast. We're talking about everybody's desires in this moment. It's highly inappropriate. Okay, we're going to look at the world of dating apps, of which I'm sure we're both experts. Um, What they say about our choices. You may well be. (laughs) No, thanks. I thought we did your confessions last time about Club 1830. (laughs) It's all coming out. Okay, um, are we free to choose who to date who we want? Um, and looking at the, some ideas around digital capitalism, obviously, does Google know us better than we know ourselves? Yes. And what does any of this mean for in terms of being free? And we want to wrap all of this conversation up into the idea of desire. And it is freedom ultimately about acting on our desires or not. How are our desires being shaped and how free are we in a world that is constantly selling us ideas and lifestyles and messages um, that are reshaping and we might even suggest deforming, yes, deforming our desires. Deforming and reforming and deforming of desires for sure. So uh, we are here in a little town called Port Stewart where I live. It's about 8,000 people on the north coast of Northern Ireland. You seem to know pretty much every single one of those 8,000 people. Well, it is a small town <laughs> and I have lived here on and off most if not all of my life in fact. Um, pretty much uh, we are out in the sticks uh, that's why I talk funny, for those of you who are wondering. How do you pronounce mirror? Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. And don't start on power or par. Um, those are both the same things in my world. Anyway, less of it for you, London elitist. Yes, because oh. I get to live in one of the best global cities of London. Well, yes. so one of the things we've talked about is there are nuances and differences to our lives because of where we live, between Port Stewart and London. But in an online, always-on world, there are also significant similarities. We have items delivered to our house almost daily, and we desire very similar items uh, and can get them delivered pretty much anywhere in the UK next day. Indeed, indeed. God bless Amazon. So you normally come to London, the centre of the universe, um, to uh, to our office uh, in King's Cross. But on this occasion, you have dragged me all the way over the ocean to enjoy some good old Irish hospitality. Yes, although we might have to say British hospitality just to keep any of our loyalist listeners happy. But that's just some local humour. Um, so, yeah, as you say, I often come to London. Last time uh, I was walking to the headquarters of the Evangelical Alliance 
where according to one of my humanist friends, we plot world domination. But anyway, I digress. Uh, we're very close to King's Cross. Again, I was talking to somebody last night about this and I was saying what a wonderful area it was. He had not been living in London for 10 years and was really shocked. And I said, no, 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 it's Google and Facebook and everybody has moved in close to our offices. They all seem to want to be close to us. Absolutely. And I was passing the uh, Nike or Nike store, depending Nike, on how you choose to say apparently. that. Nike. I've been wrong all um, my life. And in there, you can choose any color of trainer. And on the off chance you don't, they don't have the color that you like, you can design your own trainer. And it seems like the ultimate choice. But here's the thing, and this we think is critical. Very few people stop to ask why it is we want the trainer in the first place. Is this like a tree falling in a forest that you can't listen to? Uh, or? No. <laughs> Look, you can choose from a vast array of phones, but it seems inconceivable to choose not to have a phone today. And in the same way, you can choose basically any colour of trainer. And if they don't have it, you go and design your own. But nobody says, well, why do I need that trainer in the first place? Okay, so the idea being that choice is offered as a proxy for control and that both choice and control are cheap knockoffs of freedom. Um, so they set out to reorientate or change our desires so that we want something like the pair of Nike trainers um, and that we're offered the appearance or the illusion of choice. You can have the trainer that you want, but no, you don't question whether or not you want to spend £80 on a pair of trainers or 150 whatever it is these days. Or 250 on the pair that make you go even faster. <laughs> And can run a sub two hour marathon. Yeah, I um, don't care. I won't. And in fact, the you bus. need it then, not just in any color, you need it in two colors, you need it delivered to your house tomorrow. And that is basically because of people like you, comms experts, who manipulate our desires. Yes, there is a dark side to my trade. Um, so we're going to look at advertising in more detail in a later podcast. But today, let's chat Love Island. <laughs> Um, I'm assuming you're a huge fan. Oh, my like number one topic. It's my mastermind theme. Uh, it's the one about the celebrities in the jungle. Is that right? Oh, so bad. Um, have you even seen an episode? Uh, no, is the short answer. But for some unknown reason, they let me speak at youth events sometimes. And, uh, you know, I do read about these shows. I've heard it runs on ITV2. It attracts millions of viewers over the summer. But I do know that it is currently running a special winter episode. For the first time, I believe, and it is back on TV right now. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, yes, in fact, by the time this says, we'll probably know who the winning couple are. OK, so the basic premise is put six men, six women or whoever, however many that decided this season into a villa and then get them to fall in love with each other um, and then ultimately win £50,000 because love and money go hand in hand. Um, you form and reform um, relationships. You are set then for life or at least for the next six months as an Instagram influencer. Um, people um, are judged to their authenticity of their feelings and their, the way they're handling themselves within the villa. And it's basically blind date meets Lord of the Flies. Do the people ring in and vote on this? Uh, well, sometimes. So you've got <laughs> you've got a, a coupling set at, um, okay. at, at various points in the thing where they split up and reform, and then we're invited to vote on different questions. So we can split couples up, we can put couples together, we can take one of the partners out of the villa, and basically and we just so mess with their minds. 
Yes, okay. So I definitely am missing out. I feel it intensely. <laughs> uh, so you and I were listening to a podcast which looked at dating apps in Love Island, which is why I came across it. Uh, last year, one of the contestants... <laughs> the podcast uh, was from Radio 4, right? Yes, it was Radio 4's <laughs> podcast. It's true. Uh, and it was about a young... So the podcast was talking about a young black woman, at Samira, who struggled to find a partner. And I think, uh, so the BBC Analysis podcast was looking at this kind of almost sexual racism within dating apps. Um, black men and women are 10 times more likely to message white men and women than the other way around. And they were essentially saying there's like a hierarchy of desirability, which was what piqued my interest. So Asian men and black women are the least likely to be responded to. That's just the objective data that they were bringing forward. And they were trying to work out, is this a case of preference or discrimination? Where do we draw the boundaries on desire and freedom? Yes. So ultimately, it's asking the question, are we allowed to be racist when it comes to who we are physically attracted to and desire. So it, this is interesting because um, when uh, Samira was, um, was on Love Island, there was this massive question as to whether or not um, Love Island could cope with diversity because whether or not the contestants actually wanted to date her. Um, and so they've put... Uh, better representation into the villa over the last couple of seasons but it's also quite limited because the producers say they can only put people onto love island that other people hmm. would find yes. attractive um so we see that mixed race men are preferred but women with university degrees are not and is this just a matter of preference or is there some something more behind it yeah, so most of the dating apps out there have moved away from the kind of traditional post where you could say no white people or no black people. But instead, people still get away around that by saying, I prefer Latino or prefer Asian. And Love Island, uh, you've told me, obsesses about my type. <laughs> We're into this notion. People talk about my type. Uh, and then the question, I suppose, behind that is, am I free to choose the people I desire or are my desires being formed, shaped, manipulated by outside influences? So it's exactly how uh, Hegel would argue our subjectivity is formed. <laughs> I knew you were going to try and bring your philosophy into this. Okay, so Hegel, let's imagine for the sake of our listeners, they have no idea what you're talking about. Because you are so familiar with the concepts, I'm right? I'm not commenting further. <laughs> okay, so there was this master-slave dialectic that Hegel set up. and A what? Sorry? A... <laughs> hey, man. So the theory is that your subjectivity, your awareness of yourself comes from other people reflecting it onto uh -huh. you. So if you know that you are a good artist, do you inherently know that or have enough people told you that you're good at art for you to recognise that you have some creative talent? So I only think I'm attractive because people have reflected that back to me. I don't know who that would be, but yes. <laughs> Is his theory. Exactly. <clears throat> So in other words, we spend a lot of time being told by our culture that our identity comes from within us. Love Island is obsessed with being true to you as if this idea of who we are and what we desire comes from within ourselves. But what we fail to recognise is that we adopt the identities and we adopt desires that are reflected onto us. We are taught over and over again, this person's attractive, successful, doing well. And if you want to be attractive, successful and considered to be doing well, you need to be like them. So it's this cultural narrative and story that we live in as opposed to something that's inherent within us. Okay, yeah. So to be successful looks like this. And so then we all try and 
look like that and that reflects back to be to be attractive is to be tanned historically in our culture exactly so i'm at my friend's wedding in mauritius light uh all of us brits were chasing the sun every opportunity we could we had we would be on the beach we were topping up our tans but the mauritian bride was seeking shade and walking around with a parasol so that she was as pale as she could possibly be for her wedding because we came from different cultures and our different cultures have different markers for what success looks like and these markers are so ingrained and often unconscious but they're so incredibly powerful yeah, so we think we're free to fancy whoever we choose, but it's actually much more complicated than that. Yes. It's been wired and kind of programmed into us. Yes, exactly. Desire is often based on perceived influence um, and affluence. It's not an arbitrary, innate or free sense of taste. We're taught what we want to desire, both in ourselves and in others. Desire is formed by our cultures um, and affirmed through shows like Love Island that tell us this is what attractive look like. And then the algorithms of dating apps that push us in the direction of our sub and unconscious desires. Okay, so before we lose absolutely everyone in our bizarre world of dating apps and Love Island, in case people aren't quite with us, both of which are problematic, by the way, why are we discussing these? <laughs> Great question. Because our culture says that freedom is important. Christians believe that freedom is important, but we're, but we're often discussing related but very different understandings. Our culture says that ultimately to be free is to be free to act on our desires. But the biblical narrative is actually freedom from being controlled by our desires, being slaved to, the, to our desires. And freedom is actually liberation from them rather than to them. Yeah, okay. So culture says to be, we're free when we can act on our desires. The Bible says we're free when we're no longer enslaved by our desires. Exactly. Is your point, okay. And that takes us to the Genesis story uh, where we've already been in, in, in our first episode uh, we as human beings have been given freedom. Uh, it's an incredible part of the story. We can make our own choices. God gives us independence and autonomy and freedom and self-reliance. Um, but rather than that leading actually fully through to freedom, they often enslave us and entrap us. Exactly. See, right back at the beginning, we had access to the tree of life, which was freedom, but that bore fruit from a relationship with God. But instead, we chose the tree of knowledge of good and evil, where freedom got mixed up with this idea of choice and, and control. It's not about those things. In fact, freedom comes from a life rooted in relationship with God. Yeah, and Paul picks this up in uh, 1 Corinthians 6. He talks about, look, everything's lawful, everything's permissible, I think it says, uh, but not everything's beneficial. We shouldn't be mastered by anything and not everything builds us up. And in the Corinthian church, they're having this argument. Uh, I think they ran with something like food for the stomach and the stomach for food. So they were saying, it doesn't matter what I eat. It's only going into my body. And then having made that case, they then said, but it doesn't matter who I sleep with. <laughs> Basically, it doesn't matter who I have sex with. Um, I should be free to have sex with who I like. It's only my physical body. And Paul says in the message, are you nuts? <laughs> Don't you know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? And in that, I guess the argument is around like how free we are to follow our desires to sleep with who we like in that case. And the current cultural thing is if you're being authentic, 
the big drive is authenticity. If I'm being authentic, if I now desire somebody else, it doesn't matter that I'm in a marriage, that I've made a commitment to be authentic to myself. I need to go after my desires and chase after the new person I fancy, forget the commitment. So uh, to be true to yourself, to be authentic is to keep pursuing those desires. And Paul, along with many others, were arguing, hold on, that kind of freedom is actually leading to or is the route to idolatry because our desires is what we worship. Uh, and then if we are constantly chasing after desires, then we're leading our worship in that direction. David Foster Wallace, the American writer, um, gave this, uh, what's he called, inauguration address uh, at, a, at a college that went viral, I think it's about 20 years ago. And he said this in relation to kind of worship and desire. There's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God like JC or Yahweh is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> but but we see that, don't we? I mean, even in the Love Island bubble, you have these Instagram influencers that are constantly talking about their need to put the filters on and curate reality, but we don't even notice that, that this perpetuating um, sense of success and desire and be successful and be desired is always leading us round and round in the circle. I think it's Wallace that opened that address with the story of the two fish. Um, yeah. The two fish that are swimming along and they meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two fish swim on for a bit, but eventually one of them looks at the other and says, what on earth is water? <laughs> and the point being that we can be oblivious to the culture around us, to the water we're swimming in, that we become so used to it that we don't even notice it. So we look at a particular colour of trainers never asking, why do we want those trainers in the first place? And I think Wallace is trying to argue, look, um, what we worship is informed by what we desire, but what we desire is being shaped by the culture around us all the time. Yes. And we're just missing the shaping piece of culture. So we think we're being free when we pursue our desires, unaware that our desires have been shaped and formed and manipulated by a culture, which is therefore driving what we worship and desire in the first place. So just the same as Love Island might be framing some of our cultural conversation and cultural stories today, in our day, dating us quite well, um, it would have been friends that would have given ah. us this cultural context. <laughs> You're about to date this podcast, I suspect, <laughs> or at least the hosts. Okay, so... Uh, I've been watching reruns of Friends, Joe. Tell me all about the original time you watched it. <laughs> But it was such a rite of passage. Everything that we lived had a Friends reference point to it. Um, Friends was safe and tame and was people just like us. Um, and it, it was really safe, but yet it normalised the idea that relationships could be about sex. Um, could be, they just were. <laughs> well, yes, but there was no consequence yeah. to the sexual encounters uh, that they had. Uh, it was written in such a way that you were willing sexual encounters to happen. Um, you really wanted the relationships to be consummated in the ways that they were. And it's really interesting to me now that as the show has been re-released on Netflix and a new generation of people are watching it, they're watching it through a fresh 
different set of eyes with a different cultural moral framework and they're spotting things that are considered out of step and immoral now especially in the way it treats um the gay community or the trans community which at the time was was considered best practice but now feels really dismissive um our culture and what is good has changed and in many ways we haven't even noticed yeah, so we, our two fish, our friends viewer, our Love Island viewer is becoming less aware of the water they're swimming in. So we grew up watching Friends and it began to normalise the idea that relationships are about sex. And we didn't even really notice that that was the water we were swimming in and how much it was shaping us. So we think we're free, but we're being constantly shaped the whole time. Yes, and we're going to come back and look at the idea of culture in a later episode. But one final thing we've not yet looked at is the question, are all desires equal? Mm -hmm. Discuss. <laughs> well, that question takes us, I guess, to Augustine, who was really the guy on desire. We've said a little bit about culture is all about worship. Worship is about desire. And St. Augustine is the guy on desire. In his uh, prayer opening up confessions, he says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Nice. Yes. Um, Richard Foster has a similar understanding around um, the idea that we're not one integrated self, but we're more a conglomerate of selves, all with often conflicting wants, needs and desires. So I might desire to be good, generous, altruistic, but I also want gratification, significance and recognition. More confession from you here. <laughs> and sometimes these things, I guess, match and sometimes they don't. Yes, exactly. And speaking as a former smoker, <gasps> I know, um, I know only too well just how um, easy it is for addictive to desires to co-op and kibosh the best of intentions. How easy it is for something that is an addiction to become an idol, to become before all other things. Mm. Um, we often talk, I think, as Christians about God wanting to give us our heart's desires, often quoting Psalm 37.4. But we often fail to take into account the first bit of that, which instructs us to delight in the Lord. In other words, we make him our heart's desire and he will give us the desires of our heart. Yes, and that's absolutely critical. I think Jamie Smith picks that idea up in his uh, Desiring the Kingdom. It's part of a kind of trilogy of books that he's done on some of these themes, picking up on Augustine. And he says, the way to the heart is through the body and the way to the body is through story, which takes us back into something we said in the first episode. And Joe's looking at me because I just hit my microphone <laughs> and made that funny noise. Um, so like story is critical and then that shapes our bodies. And in that is the way, in fact, to our heart. And that's sometimes because we've had this idea that if we just intellectually engage people, that's how we shape their hearts and their bodies. But actually, he's pushing back on that idea. So what is he then talking about in terms of worship? I take it he's not talking about the 30-minute four-song set that normally opens our Sunday morning. No, he's, he's arguing, yeah, that we're worshipping or desiring beings at our very core rather than thinking beings. And that Christian worship then is to be an act of counterformation to the rival liturgies that we see in the culture around us that we're often deeply immersed in, the cultural practices that are covertly capturing and shaping our loves and our longings. They're miscalibrating us. They are reforming us, deforming us, if you like, into rival versions or rival stories of what the good life is like. 
And so he's arguing that Christian worship is uh, about our whole lives, that our whole lives have to be an act of worship. Um, and so Jimmy Smith would say things like working and shopping and eating um, are not just things that we do, they're things um, that are done to us, teaching us to love, pointing us towards uh, what our lives could be and should be like. They're training us in a particular way. Christian worship does the same thing for us. It's not just something that we do. We don't go to church and then we worship for four songs. It is something that is done to us that begins to shape and to form who we are. So for him, communion, going to church, going forward, the movement in that, that's all shaping us and shaping our bodies. And then it's the story that begins to shape our hearts ultimately. Okay. So this idea that practice of discipleship um intentionally trains and forms our ideas i suppose it's linking back to that wallace notion that we're always worshiping we're always putting something in front of us that we desire um and when we put god in front of us and we learn to desire him it sets us free from the desires that run counter to our relationship mm. with him because it often feels that the world desperately needs us to buy into the idea that freedom is the freedom to choose whatever we want, whatever trainers we want. But actually, the biblical narrative, the biblical story would tell us that freedom is freedom from being controlled and enslaved to our desires, that these stories shape us and how we live and act and work in this world shapes us. Um, if we adopt a story where individual freedom is our primary narrative. I get yeah. to be who I want. I get to date or sleep with whoever I want. Um, back to Love Island. I get to be true to myself. Um, the ultimate is that if it feels good, do it. What's the harm? Um, in fact, if you want to be happy, that's what you need to do. It doesn't matter what I do to my body. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. Um, that, that becomes the gov governing story, but it's really toxic. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that, that takes us back to Paul in that moment, doesn't I? I can do with my body what I like. Paul saying, no, you can't. Love Island saying, same, I just move from one relationship to the next. It's just my body. It doesn't matter. Um, and we know that isn't true. Desires aren't neutral. They aren't all good. We can't just say, well, I desire this thing. I, I'm just going to go after it. We're relational beings. Relationships are, are sticky in that sense. They have an impact as we as we move from one relationship to the next. And it's naive to think, you can just move on to the next relationship without being affected in any way, shape or form. So the narrative that friends taught us that it doesn't matter who you have a relationship with and you can just bounce to the next one is ultimately false. Yeah, it only exists in TV land. Like the idea that there's no emotional connection, that you're not somehow engaged. There's this kind of little plasticine sketch that people do of people having relationships and bits of you stick on to the next and you carry them into the next relationship. That's inevitable. We're relational beings. So, okay. So how then do we take um, Smith's ideas of worship and practice seriously when it comes to uh, training and forming our character, our desires and ultimately being free? Well, Smith, and I, and I think he's taken this from Augustine, is big on habits to cultivate good desires and to reorientate unhealthy ones. So we have um, small things in terms of habits, like I wear a watch. Um, so the reason I do that is I don't need a watch in one sense because my phone tells me the time and I always seem to have my phone with me. But then at the moment when I need to, to send my kids to bed or we're reading a bedtime story and I'm trying to work out the time, I end up taking out my phone. That models to them that I have my phone while I'm with them, but it's also distracting me because I can see the text and the tweets and whatever coming through. It's the small things like saying grace before a meal. 
a practice that helps reorientate us in a world of plenty and famine. But we are so used to just ordering goods that get delivered to our house that we don't go out and, and have to harvest them and worry about the weather and the crops. But saying grace reorientates us to say, actually, I'm thankful for this food that has been prepared and is on the table that I'm going to get to eat with other people. There's a community moment in that too, but it's a reorientating. So it's small habits, small practices um, that begin to reorientate us. Like you've kids, we both have kids in this moment, like getting them to eat healthy food is we take away the Coke so they don't have it <laughs> and we offer the healthy food and there goes the sponsorship deal with Coke. And, but we do that also hopefully as part of a community. No phones. We're saying to our kids, hey, you're not going to get phones. Um, I'll not say what age they're going to get them at. Um, but we also try to speak to other parents and say, it'd be great if we did this as a community together. So it's not just our kids who don't have phones, but other kids don't in this moment. Uh, and CAP's brilliant at that. Christians Against Poverty, they say, hey, we're going to do debt counselling, but we're also going to put you in a community and wrap people around you because you're, you're addicted to debt, basically. And so not only do we need to do the financial back end on that and sort it out, we need to put you in a community that's going to help reorientate your desires at that moment, help you journey away from debt and offer you the kind of support that you need because some of our desires are not good. The desire for debt is a bad desire. And so you need to be part of a community that helps reorientate and reform those desires. I love that. And I love the idea that that's even more counter um, to the, the framing that our world is offering us in terms of, of freedom because that freedom is so individualistic. It's so be true to you, be your authentic self, be happy for you. Whereas actually when we form our desires as a community and we seek to serve and to give and to live rooted in relationship, it's a totally different rhythm and it's a totally different form of worship. Yes. Love it. Yep. The freedom okay. from is so individualistic and the freedom to is so community oriented. And we've said it before, the church is far from perfect but we do ultimately love it. Nice. Okay, so we will be back soon with another episode exploring freedom and being human. Until then, we are a new podcast. We would love you to uh, subscribe so that you can always get the next episode straight to your device. We're available on all podcast platforms of choice. Um, please do like, share, talk to other people about us. We would love to hear from you as well. So do get in touch. But otherwise, until next time, Thanks for listening, mom and the interns in particular, and be blessed. <laughs>